This morning we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke chapter 1 and verses 26 through 38, which is the companion account to the passage that Ron read for us from Matthew chapter 1. The topic of my discussion, and this will be the last in our series on being brave, uh, the topic is this. God calls us as His children to be brave even when we are in the midst of unreasonable circumstances. By the way, I'm just catching a sight of my shoes as I'm standing up here. Uh, if you see me after the service, i got my work boots on, okay? So that was intentional, all right? I don't want you to think I uh, somehow put on the wrong shoes. That was on purpose because when I went out this morning, it was quite icy and snowy. So God calls His children to be brave even when they are faced with apparently unreasonable circumstances. I want us to look at the story from Luke chapter 1, the account when Mary has an encounter with the angel Gabriel. In the town of Nazareth, verse 26 says, a small town in Galilee, she is a virgin that is pledged to be married to a man named Joseph who happens to be a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Get down to verse 34, just to set the tension that arises in this account. How will this be, Mary? Yes, since I am a virgin. So three times in this brief series of verses, the main issue is raised to the front. The one that is supposed to give birth to the promised child is a virgin, and that is stated three times simply for the purpose of emphasis to cause us to see how unlikely a resolution to this situation, in fact, is. What does the angel say to Mary? Verse 29. After he says, you are the highly favored one and the Lord is with you, verse 29, he says, Mary, or the Bible says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Meaning, encounters with angelic beings are not everyday occurrences. They happen, but they're not, by any stretch, normal or expected. And so Mary's response is one of being greatly troubled. She wondered, what what do you mean I am highly favored by God? In what sense am I selected by God to experience a greater benefit than others around me? That becomes the question. But the angel in the midst of her fear says to her, Mary, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. God has a marvelous plan for your life. That is going to bring great blessings and it will bring the fulfillment. We'll find out later the fulfillment of all the promises that were made to Abraham years prior, literally millennial prior to this experience. Here's what he says to her, verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Folks, I want you to think about that word. Oh, you're going to give birth to a son and your son is going to be the President of the United States and that will never end. What would your response to that be? That doesn't happen. Nobody is a king forever. Nobody is president forever. We have term limits. We have life limits. The reality and the unreasonableness of the promise. But the part of it that captures Mary's attention is obviously verse 31. 
you will be with child and give birth to a son. She is a virgin who is engaged to a man and in the ancient context engaged for a 12-month period of time in which she was expected to maintain moral innocence and purity. And so this statement leaves Mary shocked. Her response isn't, oh, okay, good, I'm good with that. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to go around and tell people all of a sudden I'm pregnant. Mary doesn't say, okay, I'm good with that. No. Verse 34 gives her response to this encounter that she... You see the situation she's in? It's a miraculous encounter. She can't deny the reality of what's happening. She's having an encounter with a messenger from God who is giving her a very specific message. And so he has her attention. She has to give some degree of credibility to the promise that's being made about her life. And yet she doesn't like what it means and she finds it highly impossible and unreasonable and unlikely look at verse 34 the response of mary how will this be i am a virgin what is she saying i have maintained moral innocence i have maintained moral purity and integrity towards joseph and towards my god how can this be She is now thrust into a situation that can be characterized as, in her perspective, impossible. I can't be pregnant. I have never slept with a man. Furthermore, it's highly unreasonable for you to say that I'm just going to show up pregnant. What will that do to my reputation? How does God help Mary to buy into His promise and plan? Verse 35. His response to her query is, The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born implied of you will be called the Son of God. And Mary says, oh, okay, that explains it all. I'm good for the plan now. I know that's going to be a thing of God and that's good. Let's do it. Is that a response? We know her response is clearly one of disbelief. We don't know After this statement, what her response is, but we know this. It's not enough to convince Mary. Say, Pastor Tim, how do you know it's not enough to convince Mary? Go to the next verse. Verse 36. What is he doing now? He's layering on reasons for why Mary should believe that God is beginning to do a miraculous thing in her life. Verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, and and you, you have to think to yourself, okay, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child, and then the tension comes in, right? In her old age. In a season of unlikeliness, Elizabeth and Zacharias are going to have a son. Why does God say this to Mary? Okay, you have to go back to Luke chapter, uh, let's see, let me give you this verse. Luke chapter 1 and verse 7. Look back to verse 7. Talking about Elizabeth, it says, But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. Okay, she was unable to give birth to children and they were both well along in years which is a euphemistic way of saying is, them having a child is impossible. She's well beyond. They are well advanced in years. Them having a child isn't going to happen. What does God say to Mary through Gabriel? He says, you know what? Elizabeth, your cousin, is expecting. And you can imagine Mary's like, okay, let, me, uh, let me make this clear, okay? This is like my parents calling me. Say, so, you know, we have news for you. You know, it'd be like my daughter, my daughter at 21, soon to be 22, has a very strong reaction to the thought of my wife and I having another baby. 
It's one of pure embarrassment and unbelief. Okay? And I have good news for you. My wife is not pregnant. Okay? But I, 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 what was Mary's response? Oh, by the way, Elizabeth's pregnant. She grabbed her cell phone and called everybody, right? <laughs> Text messaged all her friends. Elizabeth's pregnant? Is she really pregnant? And you know what Mary does? After yielding to God's call on her life in this situation, you know what she does? She goes to Elizabeth and verifies the word of God. But she wants to be used by God, but the circumstances in which God has called her to are unlikely. God helps her to understand. God helps her to buy into the promise and the fulfillment of the plan by telling her that her, her relative Elizabeth is pregnant when she was barren and well beyond years. So then Mary begins to plan the conversation. I just jotted down a couple thoughts. What is the conversation she's going to have with Joseph? What does it sound like? Okay, God, I'm, I'm open to your plan. And now I have to go let Joseph know that I'm pregnant. How do you do that? You know you are completely innocent. You know you have not violated this year of covenant, of contract, the testing period for Jewish girls in that culture. You have been faithful to God. Ooh. <laughs> this is a sign. By the time that falls off the wall, I'll be done this sermon, okay? All right, so here we go. Mary's probable conversation or the musing in her mind, how do I tell the man that I love that I appear to be unfaithful, but I haven't been? I mean, I know I'm pregnant, but there's an explanation. Think it through. Uh, Joe, I... Uh, well, I'm sort of... But it's good, I mean, it's great... Okay, I know this doesn't sound good, but it's, it's not good. It's really good. Nothing appropriate has happened, really. Her concern is clearly this. Joseph will not and cannot understand. He can't understand this. And God is calling both of them to walk into the midst of unreasonable circumstances. The problem and tension that arises is found in Matthew chapter 1. If you're not there, just flip back there real quickly. Gospel of Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us how Joseph responds to the speech that Mary gives him, to the news that his beloved wife is now expectant. The text says this is how the birth of Jesus came about. This is the most familiar probably text also. Her, his mother Mary, who was pledged to be married in the year of testing for purity for both of them. She was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they ever came together, she was found to be with a child through the Holy Ghost. Okay, now notice the next verse. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her unnecessarily is implied to public disgrace, he committed himself to divorce her quietly. Okay, that tells you how the speech went over. Joseph didn't buy it. Mary tells him she's pregnant. He's like, you know what, Mary? I love you. But I don't buy it. And it's unreasonable of you to expect me to buy it. It's impossible. It is improbable. It is unlikely that what you're telling me is true. And Mary's thinking, oh, i got a big problem on my hands.
I have good news for us as believers. When we face impossible circumstances like this, God takes care of Joseph. And I love what happens in this text. While Joseph, verse 20, is trying to figure out a way out of this situation that doesn't destroy Mary's character and shame her completely, and yet he's committed to a plan, verse 20, after he had thought about this, after he had laid out a strategic plan by which he would maintain his own moral innocence, do you see this body's in? If he marries her, he will forever be the fornicator. Everybody in his hometown will see Joseph as the fornicator. As the man who was unfaithful to God and to his woman. Who engaged in an act that was shameful before God. That would be Joseph. But he is, by reputation, a righteous man. So he's wrestling with, how do I work through this unreasonable set of circumstances that has fallen into my lap? After he had thought about this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And you just got to love this. Mary's like, yes, thank you. Joseph, son of David, which is probably one of the most weighted three words in the New Testament. Joseph, son of David. Why is that critical? Because all the promises that related to the birth of the Messiah were to come through a son of David. For Jesus Christ to have humanity, he had to be born of Mary, though virgin born so sinless. To be the royal king, he had to be born in the line of David. That is what the Old Testament prophecies demanded. And so his human father, from a lineage perspective, is the son of David. And so the angel says, Joseph, by the way, son of David, which draws him, he's getting tied into this storyline in a way that he's getting leveraged in. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. I sense a, an anxiety in your heart, Joseph. Give it up. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Take her home with you. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, she will give birth to a son. And you, Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. What a powerful statement for Joseph. Joseph initially makes what most of us would call the reasonable call. Don't embarrass her, but put her aside. God intervenes. In a situation that seems totally inappropriate. A situation in which no one will fault Joseph for putting Mary aside. It would be the honorable thing to do. While he's trying to figure it out, God comes. He gives Joseph a, a, a correction. Joseph, you misunderstand. She is telling you the truth. She is pregnant, but not because she's been unfaithful. What is working in her is of God, take her home. Take her as your wife. It is an awkward call to obedience. It is a circumstance that seems unreasonable. And yet it is the plan of God. Ever face a situation like that? Where you sense, you know, God is calling you to obey Him. You're looking at the set of circumstances saying, God, I don't like this. I don't like the way this looks. Obeying you in this context seems like it's going to cost very, very much. It is going to appear highly unreasonable. But God's call is clear. And it's a fascinating thing, isn't it? God has left for Joseph one choice. And that is to obey. In a situation that is going to make him look bad for the rest of his life. Do you obey God in such circumstances? 
where obedience is going in some way to hurt you or those around you? I want to ask, or just make three observations from this text this morning. The first one is this. Awkward and apparently unreasonable circumstances arise in the life of every Christian. Awkward slash unreasonable circumstances arise in the Christian life. What kinds of people? You know what the Bible tells me here? It says that Joseph is an upright man who loves God. And I'm going to guess that that's the kind of person he chose to hang out with too. A woman who had moral character and purity. And these circumstances that are unreasonable have come into their life. The lesson I think that we learn in this first thought is this. All the contingencies that are in Mary's mind, how do I change Joseph's mind? How do I get him to understand what really happened? All the contingencies are taken care of by who? By God. You know what we tend to do when God puts us in awkward and unreasonable circumstances? We try to make it look reasonable. We try to make it look okay. We try to kind of massage circumstances so that we don't look radical or out of bounds. We want to look normal. Could Mary do that in this circumstance? Could she do that? She had one choice and that was deal. Joseph had two choices. He could go through with his plan or do what God called him to do in spite of how awkward and difficult it looked. Such circumstances come into our lives. God will take care of your Joseph. God will take care of you. Whatever the circumstances, whatever the person is that you need to address and it appear is an apparently awkward situation, God will take care of it. What is the key in this text then to the level of surrender that Joseph and Mary exhibit? Okay, God calls you into an, into an awkward circumstance. The appropriate response is full surrender. The question I want you to think about as you look at this text is this. What is the key to the full surrender of Joseph and Mary? I think the answer to that question is, do I trust God? Do I trust God? Who's revealing a plan that is apparently awkward and difficult and unreasonable. Do I trust Him? Folks, I believe this with all my heart. At the, at, at, at the deepest level of our disobedience is a question that constantly is asked. Do I trust God to make me happy? Do I trust God to meet my needs? Do I, do I really believe in a life-altering way that He's going to come through in circumstances that I cannot understand? That's where Joseph is. Take her, marry her, and Joseph, don't take her and live somewhere else. Take her home. And take her as your wife. And keep her pure till this child is born. What's the key to surrender? I think the first question is this. Do you trust God? You say, Tim, can you argue that points from these two texts? And I think the answer to that is very clear. Luke chapter 1, verse 20, or verse 30. Mary, do not be afraid. Okay, why does he say that? Because he's getting ready to lay on her something that is going to literally blow her mind. Mary, you're pregnant. She said, that can't be. Nah, no I'm not. Oh yeah, you are. I don't want to be. Well, you are. He puts on her this absolutely incredible thing. And before he says it though, he says, Mary, i got something to say to you. Don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. With Joseph, what happens? After Joseph had considered this, an angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. 
Okay, what happens? When I face unreasonable circumstances or circumstances that to me are perplexing where I have to obey God, but I'm afraid. What's God say? Here's what He says. Be brave. Don't be afraid. And what is that a call to? You know what that's a call to? Don't trust in your ability to see this thing clearly. Mary, don't try to understand how you could possibly be pregnant. It's a miracle. It's a God thing. Joseph, What's happened in her is of God. It's a God thing. He's at work in this circumstance. Don't be afraid. And when you trust God, here's what it will lead to. It will lead to surrender. I'm going to give you a definition of surrender because I think this is what Mary and Joseph exhibit so clearly in this passage of Scripture. Surrender or obedience because they're the same thing. Okay, It's the opposite of rebellion. It is, God, my life is yours. And that is the response from both Mary and Joseph in this text. Surrender is this. It is doing what God tells me to do, when He tells me to do it, and with the right attitude. That is obedience and surrender. I'm going to know if your kids are listening to you. Do they do what you tell them to do, when you tell them to do it, with the right attitude? That is the biblical definition of surrender. That is why I believe, as parents, we have a crucial God-given responsibility to teach our kids what it means to live a surrendered life. You know what it is? It's to do what God tells you to do, when He asks you to do it, with the right attitude. You say, Pastor Tim, can you argue that point from this text? Oh yes. Very, very powerfully we can argue that point from this text. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 24. And by the way, God gives Joseph his information in a dream because he knows he's not going to be able to handle it awake. Okay? So he puts him, he anesthetizes him and says, okay Joe, I've got to do some operation in your heart. Okay? You're not going to be able to handle it. It's going to blow your mind. How does Joseph respond? He, when he went to bed, here's what he's thinking. He wakes up and he's like, I want to marry Mary. You what? I want to marry Mary. What happened? God came and addressed me, told me not to fear, and I've experienced a change of heart that is characterized by an immediate willingness to do everything that God has told me to do. So when Joseph wakes up, here's what it says. He did without hesitation what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took her home as his wife. Folks, ask yourself this question. When God speaks, I had this happen during worship this morning. I said, Lord, stand and get up and say this. I don't want to. Get up and say it. Get up and encourage people to worship God in spirit and in truth. God says, Joseph, you go marry her. Joseph wakes up a born-again man. A man who couldn't probably stand the thought of Mary anymore. Broken-hearted. He goes over to Mary's house and says, Mary, I'm going to marry you. I know it doesn't make sense. Don't even ask why. I believe God and I believe you. I'm going to take you as my wife and we're going to see this through together. What is Mary's response? Look at verse 38. And you just, you know, the rationale for Mary is, even Elizabeth is expectant. And then Gabriel says this to her, Mary, nothing is impossible with God. What does Mary say? No, you can't be pregnant without physical intercourse. You can't. You can't. Mary, nothing is it's impossible with God. That is the promise that draws out of her heart this fabulous, brave response. I am the servant of the Lord. 
May it be to me as you have said. And folks, that is surrender. She hears the call of God. She clearly understands it. So I think the King James Version says, Be it unto me according to your word. What is she saying? What you said, angel? Amen. So be it in my life. And folks, you want to live a transformed life? When God speaks to you and starts to draw on your heart, would you be the person who says, God, amen. So be it. Practice surrender, which is doing exactly what God tells you to do when He tells you to do it with the right attitude. What is the attitude that turns on the power of God in the Christian life? You know what it is? It's faith. It's faith. It's a God, when you speak, my answer is yes. Yes. When it's awkward, when it's unreasonable, when it seems impossible, when it's going to lead to a tarnished reputation for the rest of my life on earth, my answer is yes. Folks, that decision will change your life forever. And the opposite decision will also change, and I believe this, destroy your life. That's why when you deal with your kids, this issue of obedience is not secondary. It is fundamental to what it is to raise godly kids who know what it is to hear the voice of authority and respond immediately, completely, with the right attitude. That's why this matters. You know why? Because one day when God speaks to my child, I want them to respond to Him in a way that they were taught to respond to God-given authority. To say yes. Yes to God. Surrender in this context always involves something, though, doesn't it? What does surrender always involve? A full, complete surrender to God. What does it always involve? What's the word that comes to mind? Speak out loud. Sacrifice? I think I read the word cost on someone's lips. Okay? It will always cost you to obey God. If you don't want to pay a price, you can't be a follower of Christ. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 9? If anyone wants to come after me, he must first do what? Say goodbye to himself. I want to tell you something. In this text, who's saying goodbye to himself? Joseph. Another passage comes to mind. Jesus says this. If you love your life, lose it. If you love your life, lose it. What is he saying? If you really love your life and want it to count, give it up. Folks, I want to tell you something. What was Joseph wrestling with here? Joseph was wrestling with keeping his life neat and clean. He had to sacrifice his life to be the instrument of God in the most crucial mission on planet earth. And he was willing to pay the price. And you know what you never find from Mary and Joseph ever in Scripture? Never one hint of disappointment with God. Not one. Not a life free from pain because Mary had plenty of it for saying yes to this. Her sacrifice led to a full surrender. And that surrender leads to the glorious message of the gospel of Christ. There's a lesson that emerges out of this. It's somewhat secondary for those that are single adults in our church family. I'm not surprised that Joseph said yes. And I'm not surprised that God chose Mary. Because I think in Mary and Joseph you have 
something extremely strong that is increasing intimacy in their relationship. You know what it is? It's a profound, sacrificial pursuit of God. I always do this in premarital counseling. I always say, look, you start here and you start here. You want to get close together? You know what most people try to do? They try to work it out on the horizontal plane with gifts and things, exciting things, sometimes compromise. To do what? The effort is we want to be intimate. We want to be close. You know how to be close in a way that will change your life and your home? Both of you go in a constant pursuit of God and here's what will inevitably happen. As you both begin to pursue God, you will find that you both get closer together. Because the things of life will ultimately drive you apart. As you contemplate dating, as you contemplate marrying, dating you shouldn't contemplate, sorry about that. As you contemplate getting married, okay? You know what you need to do? Find someone who loves God more than you. And join them in the pursuit of God. And you will end up at the same place. And you will have a degree of intimacy in your home that is unconquerable. Find two people that have two totally different passions. They will live a divided and unhappy life. I can guarantee you that. You want joy in your marriage? Go after God. And as you both get nearer to God, you will find that you have increased in proximity to each other for God and His glory. You know what happens? Most people come to me and they want to talk about their problems. The most important relationship you have in your life that will cause you to surrender to God and enjoy that surrender with others is a heart that is just given to seeking after God. And when you do that together, you're going to find that there is an intimacy in your marriage, in your relationships that is glorious. For those of you that aren't married, do not settle for less. Or it will bring a burden of sorrow to your life that is virtually unbearable, and for some, it becomes unbearable. And the marriage breaks. Find someone like Joseph, ladies. Find someone like Mary, men whose heart with God is God, be it unto me according to your will. Find a man who gets up and says, today I am going to live for the glory of God, even if it is unreasonable in terms of the cost. And God will change your life. The last thought that I want to leave you with this morning is this. What are the results and blessings of this surrender that Mary and Joseph participate in it? Where do these unreasonable circumstances lead? What privileges and what joy is God leading them to through their unreasonable, difficult circumstances? What's God doing? I think there are two things that emerge. For Joseph and Mary, there is privilege. Here's the privilege. The privilege is joining with God in what He is doing on planet Earth. Knowing that when I am doing this, I am cooperating with God in what He is doing on planet Earth. Folks, there is no greater lasting joy than knowing that in what I am doing today, God is affirming my life today. That in knowing what I am sharing, what I am saying, how I am interacting with a friend, I am doing the will of God. There is no greater joy than doing the Father's will. That's why Jesus at the well, His disciples come and offer Him food. And what, do they say? what does He say to them? He says, hey, I'm not hungry. In fact, I didn't even think about it. Why, Jesus? I have food to eat that you don't even know of. My food, he says then, is to do the will of him that sent me. Folks, you want satisfaction in your life. You want joy in your marriage and your future relationships. Go hard after God, even when it is sacrificial and unreasonable. And you will have great joy. You say, Pastor Tim, where does that emerge in this text? 
Listen to Mary's response. After Elizabeth says to her, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, here's Mary's response. My soul glorifies the Lord. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 46, by the way, if you're there. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary knew that God was the one who would bear the price for her sin. And what is she feeling? She says, my heart is rejoicing. Folks, that's why. That's why when we worship, we should throw our all into it. Hold nothing back. Why? This is the glorious message. Mary says, my soul is filled with joy. Why? I have a Savior. And He's going to be my Son. He has seen the humble state of His servant and has used her. His mercy extends, verse 50, to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Verse 51, He has performed mighty deeds with His arms. For who? For every brave Christian who is willing to follow God when it doesn't make sense. When they can't see how it's all going to work out, they still are committed to full and complete obedience. I love what the angel says to Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is in her is of the Holy Ghost. She will give birth to a son. You are to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill. Now here's the privilege. Joseph is now in the stream of the fulfillment of God's promises. Verse 22. All this is taking place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. How long ago? 722 years before when Isaiah wrote. For a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God in the midst. Folks, do you think that Joseph was sorry that he said yes to God? No, I don't think so. Joseph had the privilege of seeing one of the greatest prophecies of the Old Testament fulfilled in his family. And it meant bearing unreasonable and awkward circumstances. And I just can hear Mary say to Elizabeth, he said yes. He said yes. He took me as his wife. And he kept me pure. He said yes. Why? Because Joseph understood that when you have the, this, this opportunity to work with God, it is the greatest cause of joy and happiness and peace and satisfaction that you can ever experience. That's why Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. The unreasonableness of an innocent crucified, he endured it with joy because he knew what it would mean joseph trashed his reputation for the rest of his life because he knew what it meant are you willing to let your reputation be thrown down the stairs because people think you're a little bit over the edge because you think everybody needs jesus are you willing are you willing to let people mock you, criticize you because you're so devoted? In fact, I would argue if you never hear that from anybody, you're probably living a silent life about the message that matters most. If nobody ever perceives you to be a little bit too radical, you're probably stuffing your Christianity and not sharing with people in your day and age the truth, the glorious truth of Christ. Mary and Joseph had the privilege of joining God in what He's doing. The other thought is quickly this. They had the joy of participating with God. Okay, we're almost done, okay? We're good. Okay? The joy, listen, 
And I, I don't know if you feel this way when you share Christ, but if you share Christ, you will begin to feel this way. Okay? They had the joy of sharing Christ. Folks, if you live a joyless life, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you something. You cannot remember the last time you opened your mouth to share Christ with somebody. If your life is characterized by a distinct, pronounced lack of joy, I can just about guarantee you, you can't remember the last time you sat down with the Bible and told someone the glorious truth of Christ. Well, said, so, well, Pastor Tim, how do I get that joy back? Pretty easy. Fall in love with Christ to the point that you can no longer justify silence. To the point that you can no longer justify silence. I've never walked away from an opportunity to share Christ with someone and saying, you know what, I'm so sorry that happened. I'm so sorry I got to talk about Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. Now, I always go away from that saying, God, thank you. Thank you for giving to us the greatest news that has ever hit planet Earth. And if you're not willing to endure awkwardness or an apparent unreasonableness, you will be silent and you will lack joy. You read through this story. Read through it. Uh, when you get to Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, the shepherds come to Mary and they say, Hey, Mary, this is the Son of God. She's like, Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And they start talking about what the angels had said. Here's what happens. The text says this from the message. It says, Mary kept all these things to herself, holding them dear, deep within herself. The King James says she treasured them in her heart. She had the message of Christ and she loved it in a way that transformed her and sent many out to proclaim the glorious truth. The greatest joy of Christian living is found in full surrender and radical obedience to God in apparently unreasonable circumstances. And today, here's the question I have for you by way of application. What is keeping you from that kind of joy? What has literally annihilated the smile on your face that is rooted in an unwillingness to obey God? What apparently unreasonable circumstances are you facing? For some this morning, I believe it's this. Loving and unresponsive or disrespectful or simply imperfect mate. For some, it's fighting for a marriage that lacks hope of change. It seems now unreasonable or impossible. Perhaps you live with someone who does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. God loves them selflessly and sacrificially. Will you? Mom and Dad this morning, God calls your child to serve in a difficult place in full-time ministry. Will you sacrifice your dreams for them? I met a man three weeks ago called by God to go to Rwanda with his wife. They gave birth to the third child six months ago in Rwanda. Your child comes to you and says, uh, I think I've got to change the plans. I think God wants me to be a missionary. I think he wants me to go overseas. Where? Rwanda. Apparently unreasonable. 
unlikely. What's keeping you from joy today? Young person waiting for a truly born from above Christian mate while the clock is ticking in your life. Well, there are other options. Will you risk the relationship to cling to God? Will you choose His plan? How about finances? You're wrestling with biblical proportionate giving. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him enough to give in a biblical way, which is generously and proportionately? Can you say that my giving to God is characterized by that? Because here's what God says in the book of Malachi. He says, test me in this, in giving, generously and proportionally, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't contain. At the root of that issue of surrender in an apparently unreasonable circumstance is what? Faith, very simply. Perhaps in this holiday season, God is calling you to reconcile a bitter conflict with your mom, with your dad, with a relative, and you know I need to go talk to them. But it looks unreasonable. You know why? Because you're predicting how they're going to respond. And you're not going to let God take care of the contingencies. You're going to condition your obedience on the outcome rather than the glory of God because it doesn't look reasonable. Can I challenge you in this season? Look at Mary and Joseph. Be it unto me according to your word. Joseph woke up and did exactly what God told him to do. And in the end, they had a joy that is literally hard to put in words. No call of obedience to God is unreasonable, even though it may appear to be. And I must remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without deep trust in God, I will not obey Him. And the last thought that just comes to my mind is, what kind of person did God use? He used Joseph, a carpenter. He used Mary, who describes herself as what? A lowly bond slave. Well, it's unreasonable that God would use me in certain circumstances. He would rather use other people of higher caliber. No, no. It's not the way he works. Joy in the Christian life is found in full surrender to apparently unreasonable circumstances. The test that we all face is, will I trust him? Will I trust him? Let's bow our heads together this morning. Father.